Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Giant Pod with me, Andy Runtmore. This week, I am talking to Steve Swales. He was the principal sculptor for Madame Two Swords for 30 years uh, and was responsible for many, 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 many waxworks all over the world from all the different Madame Two Swords uh, attractions, exhibitions, whatever you want to call them. Uh, we talk about his um, beginnings of, of sculpting and his beginnings with art, uh, his upbringing. We talk about how he got into Madame Two Swords. We talk about the history of Madame Two Swords. Uh, we talk about hanging out with Fidel Castro and doing a waxwork of him. We talk. I think we talk about Beyonce. He did Beyonce. Uh, we definitely talk about when he did the sculptor for Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, we talk about how he almost broke the fingers of the Queen of Denmark. That's an interesting story. And many, many, many other things. Um, great chat, great guy. When you're in a room with someone who's arguably the greatest of all time at what they do, and I think he, he wouldn't say it, but I do think it, you, you can argue that Steve Swales is the greatest waxwork uh, sculptor for Madame Two Swords, and they're really the only ones that do what they do. Um, you expect some ego, and there was none. Just the loveliest guy. We had a great chat. Really enjoyed his company, um, and I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. I was really, really pumped to do this this uh, podcast, and um, we definitely got the goods. And like a lot of podcasts, as soon as the mics turned off, a whole other podcast. Uh, happened as well with some of the other stories that maybe uh, he didn't want to air but um, it was just such a great hangout so here it is this is the giant pod i'm andy rintmore talking to steve swales enjoy it here it is I'm a fi- I've got ADHD, so I'm a bit of a fidget myself. I haven't got the H, I've got the other bits. The ADD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is on the internet somewhere, and yeah. I'm meant to tell you, the Times did a sort of a double-page spread. Uh, did you see it at all? Sarah sent it to me. Oh, she did? Shout out, Sarah. Sarah. Your lovely daughter. Your talented daughter uh, for hooking this up. So I had um, Chris Bailey in, um, who's a photographer. Yeah. And we, we had a great chat. And then he said, and we were talking about Froome's networks and just how many people there are in Froome who've done like amazing or incredible jobs or do incredible jobs. And he said, oh, my, my friend Sarah's, her dad's the, like, the lead, the, the main man. Uh, um, that was years ago. <laughs> yeah. So you retired now. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I was there for 30 years. How do you sum all that? How would you sum that up? Um, what, the 30 years? Yeah. So much learning. You yeah. never stop learning. Yeah. In a job like that. I was also, I'm a curious person. So also I was a principal sculptor and then I became technical director. So finding ways of doing things more efficiently, doing sit-ins and things. So you didn't have to measure every little eyelash and things. So right. I was working out camera angles, lighting, all that sort of thing. But I did really enjoy traveling right. and doing sit-ins. So where, what sort of places have you... Well, I went all up the 
east coast of Australia doing mm. sit-ins. Wow. With prime minister, sort of runners, swimmers, basketball players, um, motorbike <laughs> world champions. <laughs> and I've been to America loads of times. Yeah. The first time I went actually was sitting with Aretha Franklin in, no in her house in Detroit. That's amazing, because she was a bit of a hermit, wasn't she, yeah. uh, for many years? Yeah, well, this, this would have been about 30 years ago, just, right. just over. And um, that was to stand next to someone yeah. who's singing with just an amazing voice. Yeah. It's, you know, that, that you'll never forget that. The same thing happened with Stevie Wonder. He came to London <laughs> and he was singing. Yeah. And I suppose I'm not used to hearing voices that good. Yeah. <laughs> and um, when I left, I said, oh, I've got to go now. And he answered me in this sort of strange voice. And I stopped like that. And he was taking my... When I get nervous, I can do a bit... Because uh, uh, I was brought up in London till eight yeah i go back into that slight southeast london oh. accent and he was coming back at me mm. with my voice <laughs> it, it was it was incredible i suppose he gets because that's all he can rely on is his ears yeah. i guess you have the other senses as well but principally probably his ears are, are, are what gets him by you do pick up on voices i guess and the nuance of of accents yeah, it was and... amazing yeah so were you in Stevie Wonder's house? No, no. Um, I went into um, Aretha Franklin's house. Right. And then I went on to um, Malibu to Brian Wilson in, <laughs> in his house. Lovely. And it was the time of um, Eugene Landy. Right. Do you know, so there's lots of films and things about that relationship. Yeah. And that, that was... Absolutely fascinating. He then came to London as well. So, you know. So he, he kind of, you went to him and did a little bit and then what happens? He, they come to London for well, the unveil? It, yeah, or? He, he, he came, um, I think he was to have his hands printed or something. I can't, oh, I see. Yeah. I can't remember exactly, but it was very interesting. <laughs> 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 Which, uh, what year was this? Crumbs, that would be about, I should think, at, 1988, right. 87, some, you know, something like that. Because he had a bit of trouble, didn't he, in the 80s? Yeah. I think it was the 80s. I'm not sure which era it was, but there was a there was a period of time where he wasn't he wasn't quite himself. He wasn't very well, was he? I did a pose of him right. with him sitting in a chair and I, I put some card down and marked round his feet. Yeah. And then he sort of panicked because he thought I trapped him in that. Really? Yeah. And he, he was, I mean, he was being given loads of drugs and things by this Dr. Landy. Right. But my friend actually helped me do the sitting who lived nearby in Ventura, who is a Navy pilot, American Navy pilot. He came out and he said, that guy ain't rowing with both oars in the water. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know... It, I think he's doing so much better now. I did see something. Um, actually, I saw something. I think it was last night on Instagram, and he posted like a message to his fans saying, "Hi, I hope everyone's okay. Yeah. I'm doing better than I've done for quite a while, and I feel great." And I thought, "Well, that's wholesome. Yeah, well, that was a nice wholesome thing." And everyone's in there like, "Oh, get well soon, Brian. We love you." 
great to hear it, yeah. you know. I think he had a very hard upbringing. And a lot things. of these very, very famous people did, I think. And yeah. I think that's part of why they end up famous, is, is they find a drive somewhere. I yeah. mean, that's something you'll probably, you mean, you've probably had more experience with the rich and the famous and, uh, than, than a lot of people. You've been very intimate with them when you've had to measure them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, there a, is there a common theme with these people? It's difficult. Um, I've done lots of sit-ins in Holland because we originally had a, an attraction there. And um, that was, you know, now I think they're all over the world. I think, forget how many there are. But um, Dutch people on the whole are just really nice. Yeah. I found um, Americans to be either slightly off the wall or, or very professional and want to get the job done. Right. Do you know? It, Who's someone that you've gone to do a sitting with and instead of it being like a fun honour, has been like straight down the middle, like this is just another, you know, uh, entry in the itinerary? Yeah, I, I think probably more likely, because we were starting an attraction in um, New York, I would say that... A lot of the American, you know, m most of them are really nice, really friendly. Uh, but occasionally you've got someone who've been more or less told by their publicity people, you should be in this. And they, they haven't got that sense of the history right. that a lot of British people had for, uh, uh, for oh, Madame right. Two Swords. Because we always assume uh, everyone knows about it. It's world famous. Yeah. But it wasn't always that, was it? It was it was it was always um, a very London centric thing. I mean, I know she came from France originally, yeah. and, and I would like to talk about some of the history. And she did travel around Scotland and other places. She went to Limerick, where my wife comes from. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, but I, yeah, I guess in the international scene, until the the ones in America started opening up, or yeah, because what you. I've been to Hong Kong loads of times yeah, and we've got one there. And, you know, I, I did sitting with Jack, Jackie Chan and then again oh, in London. Oh, I love and Jackie he was Chan. just so, such a wonderful person. Yeah. You know, and you do get, I think it's more like um, the, the news presenters, media people, they can be just sort of, okay, you know, let, let's get on with this and, yeah. And, you know, some people can be slightly awkward. Right. <laughs> but I, I can't talk about that. <laughs> Do you? I mean, when I first started to, uh, uh, talking to your daughter about, you know, possibly getting you on here, she did say, oh, there are NDAs that he's not allowed to discuss. But there's, and then she sent me this whole list of people. Who's, uh, he's, he's having to talk about these people. And it was like, oh, screw the NDAs. Like, there's enough in here for three hours, probably. <laughs> Um, Desmond Tutu, uh, Fidel Castro. I saw a picture of you with Fidel Castro, and I don't know whether it was actually with you with the sculpture or you with the real him. Oh, um, well, I went to with the photographer, right? Went to Cuba, yeah, and we were sort of met by a minister of something or other and put up in a really nice hotel and then had to wait by a swimming pool for about five days to get the 
the call to go and see him. That's great. And it was so fascinating because they sent a car, which was an old larder that hardly worked, <laughs> you know, and I was sitting in the, in the back and the photographer was in the front seat by the driver. The windows wouldn't go down, uh, wouldn't go up or down. They were just falling down and the smoke was pouring in. <laughs> and we went up a little bit of sl- a slope and had to get out and walk, <laughs> walk up. <laughs> and, but it was, for me, one of the most fascinating um, sittings I'd ever had. You know, to be there with, like, there's a full colonel who moved the turntable around. Yes, I read about this, his bodyguard yeah. or something. Yeah, and, um, you know, he, he had a you know, gun here and he was moving it. And I said, would you be careful... Don't don't um, let him fall off because I have one person who, an American, who, I, who will remain nameless, right. who just sort of leapt off. <laughs> <laughs> and this chap looked at me and said, you know, he didn't say anything, yeah. but it was, I've saved this man from two, over 200 attempts on his life. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think... <laughs> going to lose him now yeah on this uh on this, <laughs> on this spinning platform yeah, yeah. i was going to ask you about wh- whether there was um heightened security whether castro himself was slightly sort of um paranoid or edgy around you because no. that would have been a real ruse for assassination attempt wouldn't it is oh we're here <laughs> to take your measurements for madame two swords or two song uh it's two swords isn't it we discussed yeah, this when, yeah. when you came in um, and then, you know, then you get him, I guess. That yeah. would have been a, a novel approach. Well, apparently, I didn't get all everything, you know, and I, I forgot to get his head measurement. And I asked this chap if we could go back. <laughs> and he, he, he said, oh, well, yeah, well, Fidel wants to see you again. And we went out in the evening um, because we heard that he was too busy. And then we, we came back the the photographer had a bit of um, a bit of poisoning from the fish, <laughs> and he came back wasn't feeling well. And they were waiting in the hotel. They'd been searching all the clubs in Havana, looking for us. It was the day before we were oh, going. Wow! And um, he, they put us in a car and shot us over to this, like a great big Russian place, and we disappeared underground. Right. You know, and went through all this incredible security. And then it, we, I think it was about one in the morning we got there and he was in his office with all these people and he was supposed to be writing a speech and he only had three minutes and he normally takes six hours. So I think it <laughs> took him days to cut, cut the speech down. But he, he gave me a bottle of rum, which we've still got. And a nice. bunch big b- bunch of flowers for my wife. And he was so avuncular, you know, he, asking questions about the business really, you know, yeah. because it was a family business. Right. And uh, I was talking about uh, publicity department, you know, all that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think the first time I was with him for about three hours and he was standing with his arm around me shoulders. Yeah. Really sort of absolutely lovely. Yeah. But it went really calm and quiet. Someone handed him a paper and he said, and he looked at it and it was 
you know, like the whole atmosphere changed. And he's, it's like talking to him, but he was using a, an interpreter. Right. But you don't notice. Yeah. You know, and he said, you wouldn't like my job. Right. And then he put his initials on this piece of paper. Yeah. And so my mind was thinking, is it a death warrant? Yeah. Do you know, like it's... Yeah, what is that that he's doing there? And he just... His demeanour changed. Yeah. Wow. And do you feel like he... You know, that old saying, isn't it? Is it heavy is the head that wears the crown. Yeah. Do you, do you definitely get that vibe from him? I think so. I mean, it's such a difficult... So a difficult read, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Sort of to slightly change the subject. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I worked in New York for a couple of weeks to set up the attraction there and we'd sculpted... Someone had done a sitting with Donald Trump. Right. And it was sculpted and I was there and... It didn't look great. Do you know, it, right. this, it was just a wax head. And my, was this while he was president? No, this was cool, a long time ago. We also did a sit-in with his ex-wife as well. Right. Ivana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. Right. Yeah. I, I said to my boss, she, she, she said, can you take this to Trump Tower and work on it to, you know, try and improve it? Yeah. And I looked at it and I said, it looks like a pig. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not taking that, you know. Right. Um, and anyway, she took it. And I said, what? when she came back, I said, what did he say? And she said, he said, if I look like that, I wouldn't have a social life. <laughs> I said, I bet if he didn't have any money, he wouldn't have a social life. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's a, he's not a uh, a likable character, is he? I'm not a fan. But I wished I'd gone now, right? Do you know that because you well, because now you'd have a story about him. Yeah, but it's not just that. Do you know, like some people have this amazing charisma. Yeah, and you can't see it on, you know, on the television. Right. This is what I was going to ask you about yeah. Castro and, and and like and these and these people that you you've the politicians and the, yeah. the people you've been with. Is the charisma thing, but that's slightly derailing the conversation. But yeah, I get what you're saying. You want to just see what he's about in for your own with your own two eyes. Yeah, yeah, and because you know people have talked about Clinton has been incredibly charismatic, right? Um, and I've known people have known Oswald Mosley, right? And they've said he's the most charismatic man they've ever met in their in their lives, right? And yet you see film or photographs you don't get any of it exactly yeah yeah and so sometimes trying to sculpt charisma is not easy right yeah but that's that is fascinating in itself because what you're doing is is you're capturing the essence of someone aren't you and it well, is trying to capture the essence and i tell you something right i started to um do some i've not been to um man and two swords i'd like to go um, hint, hint, uh, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> um, but um, when I started researching, I thought, well, I better have an overview of of the history of the place, of mm. of how it's moved with the times, the technology, etc. I was really pleased to see you popping up throughout some of these documentaries. It was really helpful. But I tell you what happened, a young man. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, you don't look too much different here. You, you've got much longer hair. You've kept your thatch, that's for sure. You lucky man. You've got a full hair. I won't have that much hair at your age. I don't have, I don't have that much hair now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the weird things that happened is I sat down, I was, I was eating my food. I thought, right, I'll put this on. I like a good documentary anyway. So I was like, this is perfect. And the, one of the first shots was uh, one of, I guess it was one of the older mannequins. Um, I think it's like a, maybe a French uh, revolution character. Yeah. Um, and you know that, you know that term uncanny valley? You heard of that? No. It's where some, I'm really surprised you haven't heard of that. It's where something is so close to being human. It's so lifelike. Yeah, it isn't human. So like robots that look really good and they put the... Yeah. I'm sure that you know a bit yeah, about this. I know. Yeah. Um, and, and Much to my chagrin. <laughs> the uncanny valley is a saying where it's like you, you see something and it's so real, it's so close to the real thing, yet there's something within you instinctually, maybe it's an evolutionary detector yeah um that knows that that isn't real it's not actually human so there's it's missing it's missing a soul i guess and you can tell looking at it and it makes you feel slightly uncomfortable inside because it's essentially something posing as one of your own yeah and i tell you what it put me off the food it put me off my food i was eating and as soon as i saw these mannequins i was I got this weird feeling in my stomach i was like uh and I don't know why, because I'm quite a rational person. I've, I like to think I'm logical, rational, barely intelligent. Yeah, I had a, a bit of an issue eating and watching some of these mannequins. It was just something yeah, just... I, I completely understand. Something <laughs> sat very strange with me. And yeah. I can watch it without eating quite fine. But it, I think it was just that initial introduction to like, oh, wow, these are really lifelike. And there's something in me that went like, mm. oh, my brain kind of broke slightly <laughs> I, i've had i did a sculpture um of a tuna fuji who is a you do quite well against him i think um he's a ah, sumo wrestler the sumo guy the yes. wolf uh, i saw this and you yeah. and you had to get you said that you couldn't look him in the eye well he, I, he had a gaze I, he was standing there you know amazing clothes do you know these big ropes and things his hairdresser came and did uh, they put i think it's camellia oil or something in mm. it and did his hairstyle and got him standing there and i said to him cuz i'd watched a bit and it was my wife mel that suggested we should do a, a sumo wrestler cuz she'd right. been watching it on <laughs> television and um they they sort of look at each other like this before they start. Right, they sort of have a stare down. Yeah, to them. and I I said, can you look at me like that? Yeah, and he went like this, and I, you know, I just yeah. There's so much power in those eyes, right? And when I sculpted it, I got them slightly cross-eyed as well, which was <laughs> <laughs> the trouble is often you don't notice because you you put the eyes in afterwards, right? And you don't notice. Until you see a photograph and you go, oh, dear. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I had that as well with, um, oh, crumbs, what's she called? Susan Sarandon. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and in New York, Susan Sarandon came in for a sit-in and I sat with her 
for about an hour or so while, while they did her makeup. She had a makeup artist and hair and just really lovely, caring person. We had photographers, you know, a photographer there who takes most of the photos, but I also I take photos at the same time as they right. go round because of, you know, trying to get the feel of someone. And, you know, the, she was a lovely person, but then her eyes came into the, cam- into the camera I was holding. Right. And then that was a shock. Right. Do you know, do you, there's something, I wish I knew what it was. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The, you know, and people say, oh, they're great with the camera or other. And you might not notice well, them the in the street. The camera loves them, yeah. Yeah, but there, there is something that... Well, they say the eyes are the window to the soul, don't they? That's yeah. such a cliche yeah. old saying. But yeah. in your line of work, you you must have experienced that. Yeah, well, I, I went with another sculptor um, up to Scotland to do a sitting with the Dalai Lama. Wow. That was fascinating in itself. And... When we we went, there was lots of security and things again because his life was in danger. Really, what was the well? The, the Chinese were, were trying to get him. I think. Really? Yeah. When it, was this? This was because he's left Tibet, you know, and lives in northern India right now. But he's you know again a really lovely person, yeah. and you get a feeling from him. So he, he stood there and held our hands and things. And I, I didn't get a feeling of a man or a woman. Normally you'd know if someone was a man or a woman. Oh. Like, um, but he's not effeminate, he's a man. Yeah. But there's something different about him. Okay. And um, I saw these little bald patches on his head and I said, uh, are they shaved, you know? They said, no, no, that's just natural. They're, they're in the position of a thumb and fingers like that on his head. Right. When we went, it was May, but it was all snow. The road had just been cleared. And we went in and the Buddhist nuns were saying that the spirits were excited that he was there. Right. And that's why it snowed, you know. And it was a really difficult, you know, really dingy day. Yeah, and they said, "Well, would you like to come in the e- evening to hear the, him talk?" And he came. There was a great big tent, must be, oh, easily fifty meters long, and he walked in with this bloke with a big sort of like helmet thing on, right, <laughs> and blowing a, a sort of musical sort of trumpet thing. Yeah, and as he walked down. They were playing this and everyone was quiet, you know. And then he got up into this, onto the platform and a ray of sun just came right through and lit him up from the setting sun, you know, like this. And everyone was going, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and it, it, for about 10 seconds he just stood there. The right. sun went <laughs> and then wow. he carried on. And, and, you know, there's all this stuff that, you don't believe, yeah, but it's worth remembering. So, do you? So, uh, I mean, we've talked about charisma, yeah, and I guess that is something that all of these people have, and to some degree, 
is charisma. Unless there's anyone you've sat with and you've gone, I really don't get why everyone's so into this this person. This this is very their energy is just completely the opposite of what I was expecting. I can't sort of put my finger on anything. And some people, are, I think, are a lot more interesting than, than are made out by the press. Right. So I went to um, 10 Downing Street to do a sitting with John Major. Right. Which is just the time, it was a week or so before the first Gulf War, I think. Right. And, you know, I've just found him a really interesting, lovely bloke. And yet all the papers were saying, I oh, was this grey man. And then... Um, as another example, um, Grace Jones. Yeah. She, we were doing a sitting with her and she was lovely. Yeah. You know, um, we talked about her son and just really lovely. When the press came in, yeah. she started getting all aggressive and, yeah. you know, sort of like a completely different act. Right, it goes into character. Yeah. Right. And then some people take a lot of warming up, you know, yeah. and... Lou Reed came for a sitting in in New York. That's so cool. He was very off at the beginning. I had this quite a young woman who was going to sculpt him with me, someone I was training at the time. And, you know, and she sort of got round him and he was just really nice. Mm. You know, so there's a sort of, you know, almost like an aloofness at first. And then people may warm up right because he's part of he was part of andy warhol's little yeah crew wasn't he and their whole concept of cool i believe was never be impressed by anything be absolutely neutral on everything yeah you know and i feel like that's probably a little bit of what you got there but then at the same time it's incredibly um uh because i've seen some footage of you sizing up the um, I can't remember her name. It's the lady that was the ice skater. You had to go to um, LA to um, <laughs> forget her name as well <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to do. And you're you're doing incredibly intimate measurements, aren't you? With yeah. very sort of pointy um, tools, and 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 also just like yes, yeah, incredibly intimate. So some people are either going to be they're going to put the guard up, aren't they, and be incredibly uncomfortable. Or I imagine what will happen more times than not is they will completely shred the ego away because of how intimate it is. Yeah. Uh, and you just get the real them. Sometimes you have someone with you who might be... A, some people have very short attention spans. <laughs> and so, you know, I did sit in with status quo and... Um, you know, I had to tell jokes right. to try and keep Francis Rossi <laughs> together, really. And he told me jokes that I repeated once and the people nearly died. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, you have to sort of work a bit with them. And then sometimes you get someone who might be been a bit more chatty. Yeah who's keeping them a bit occupied while you're getting all the measurement stuff done and things like that. Who's the, um, who's the most intense measurement you've done? Is it like, like, you, like I'm massive, you know, you can see yeah. I'm massive. I don't know how you would size me up, but how long does it, do, do, do people generally take the same time or is it very much dependent if on they've their... Been, sometimes if it's like... Um, 
queens and things like that. Yeah. You know, you might only be getting an hour yeah. at a time. I did a lot for Holland, you know, right. and they were really big on speed skating. Right. So I did two sculptures with full body sculptures and with the suits on and everything. Um, everything has to cut in the right way because they're yeah. skin tight suits. And they would take about three hours, really tough, because they might be standing there with their legs crossed going around a corner. And I, I put them on a board like that yeah. to get the angle. So, you know, and the measurements, there's a lot to do. Yeah. Um, and I love doing those with the figures and stuff like that. Right. I, I did um, a sculpture f for our Olympics, the Lon you know, the London Olympics, yeah. of Olga, Olga Corbett, who was a gymnast. Right. As she was when she was about 16. Oh, is this one when she's got her... Uh, she's hyper uh what's the word hyper uh well she, she's standing on her hands and they're yeah. doing the splits right is this the one where her legs are down by her near down no. like over her head no um different no that this is she's looking ahead like right. that oh, okay and doing the splits yeah so i had to get the the, the general manager's daughter who was 14 and was a gymnast to Stroke of luck. <laughs> and she did a sitting standing on her hands. And, right. But I had all people around. And we did um, Darcy Bustle, you know, and that was a sort of arabesque, I think. And that was really, you know, you have to just take stuff, four photographs at once. Yeah. But doing Jonah Lomu was the same. You know, we had great big turntable, four cameras, you know, so you catch the action just, just right. Right. And who's the um, who's the biggest? You ever done like? Did you do like Andre the Giant or? Um, I know there's an Arnold Schwarzenegger one. He's not that big though. Well, Arnie. Yeah. He's not that very tall. I, I doubt. No. But he's probably quite. Yeah, I, we haven't done a sitting with him because we have an attraction in Holland. Yeah. Um, I've even brought my steps with me. <laughs> Because we could not reach the top of anyone's head there. <laughs> you saying you've literally brought your steps with you today? Yeah. <laughs> really? Well, some little steps. That's a bit of a well, joke. Well, I didn't know we were doing a sitting. I would have worn some of the clothes, Steve. I was waiting for you to ask, I've got to say. <laughs> um, but Holland, I mean, there's some big people there. Right. And um, I, I was living in Newmarket. So I, you know, I was quite big, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then you go to Holland and you realise you're not, <laughs> you're not that big. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That's um, I've I don't know if I, know if I've been anywhere where I felt like of a regular size. Really, I well, yeah. no, America was yeah, but, but then yeah, no, I didn't meet any really particularly vertically big people in America. Yeah, the Swedish. You know, people with Swedish genes right. can be quite big in America, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where my, my heritage is. It's probably, probably Roman or Viking, I imagine. Maybe none, maybe I'm just... Roman? Potentially, I don't know. I don't know, mm. it's not like my family are all giants. I'm the only giant. Right. Well, I yeah. say giant. I've just got back my... Um 
ancestral thing. Ah, interesting. I thought about doing this. What what did Um, you come back with? um, Well, I thought I was an eighth Irish. Right. Because my wife's Irish and an eighth English. Okay. And they didn't mention Ireland whatsoever. But a lot of my dad was taller than me, which is, I'm the only person I know shorter than their dad, but he had blonde hair, very light blue eyes. Right. Reddish blonde. And he, he, he always said he looked like a Saxon and it came back as Sweden, Norway, North Germany, Scotland, what, little bit, tiny Scotland, little bit of Wales, mm. mostly East Anglia because my mum's family originally came there. My dad's family came from there as well. Right. Uh, but they're sort of Londoners for a few gen- generations. But it's absolutely fascinating to me. But I've also wanted to be a um, Neanderthal. <laughs> <laughs> but my legs are too thin. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I guess you, you mentioned earlier, sometimes when you get nervous, you resort to this sort of eight-year-old Cockney accent. <laughs> um, maybe that's a, a good part to to maybe discuss how you got into this world because being the uh the principal sculptor and uh, technical director of man and two swords isn't um you know that how many people have got that on their cv in the in the world not a lot two three (laughs) (laughs) um so how do you end up in this in this position and and what is it that makes you want to replicate other people I know that sounds a bit deep, but, but you know, if you've got a deep answer for it, go yeah. for it. But it might just be that it's something you fell into and it was pretty cool and and um, and that there's no other art like it really, is there? No. Uh, Mrs. Thatcher came to, un- I don't know if it's to unveil a sculpture, but she was looking around the studio. Yeah. And she was talking to me and looking at some pictures that I was working on and things. And she said... Um, of course, you're the real artist, not like all this other rubbish you get. <laughs> <laughs> and you know where you don't know what to say? Right. You know, like, we're probably the proper artists because we make money and it looks like <laughs> <laughs> what we're trying to do where no one else can make, you know, Picasso, he didn't make them look like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, mm. I really, you know, it is a very strange thing. Right. And... When I, I moved to Swindon when I was eight, yeah, in the middle of a council estate they were still building, and I used to go and dig in the foundations and get clay and just make little heads and things. Right. I, and I painted them and everything. Wow. You know, so I let yeah. the clay dry and painted them. And so I've always been quite interested in, in that. The school I went to after the third year, which I forget that's about 13-ish. Yeah. We didn't have any art lessons because I failed me 11 plus and went to a school with no playing fields and right. no... So were you an stuff. academic kid or did you not do very well with the well, academic I, I, stuff? I, I failed me 11 plus. Right. Which, you know, and I didn't get to grammar school and all the kids from the private estate went to the grammar school and I, I didn't know that they had private tutors and all that sort I see, of thing. Yeah. Um, I was very upset about it. But then when I was um, about 14-ish, 15, I went to Saturday morning art classes in the local art college. Yeah. Then I 
I went to Marlborough College as yeah. a sociological experiment. <laughs> um, you an experiment. There were boys, you know, just for the sixth form, and we went for, two, you know, it was two years, and I think there were 18 of us, people from Malmesbury, Swindon, you know, around the place. Been to Marlborough. It's a very nice place. It's lovely. Have very you been to nice. the college? I haven't, no. No, mm. I haven't. It's very beautiful. So from my secondary modern in the middle of Swindon with the toilets down the bottom of the playground and no playing fields within two miles. Right. You know, to go to somewhere with playing fields that were two miles. <laughs> <laughs> and the best sort of art, probably best art department in the country, in the school, I imagine. Right. It was a very amazing place. Did you have any teachers there or were they lecturers at that point that you feel have a particular hand in encouraging you or letting you know that maybe you were a talented uh, guy? Yeah, I, I, it, it was strange in a sense that the art teachers were amazing right. and really positive and taught really well. I feel that I had a better maths teacher. I did A-level maths and failed. <laughs> I, I, I had a better maths teacher in my secondary modern and he gave me a real interest in maths that I had, you know, as a technical director I had to use right. to work out proportions and, hmm. you know, experiments and things that, that I did. The English teacher was brilliant in, in my secondary modern. He was... Who's the bloke who wrote um, "Whites in Nights in White Satin"? Just Justin Hayward's dad. You... Oh, is that a Moody Blues yeah. song? Um, I don't know. Actually. Yeah, it's I Justin Hayward. Oh, okay. Was, yeah, his dad was my English teacher in secondary modern, and he was so strict, but he was brilliant. And do you know where you got all these different influences that that affect your life yeah but at the time I, don't, I wasn't thinking well I really need this um, trigonometry and algebra and, <laughs> do you know it's only yeah. later that it became important yeah that is strange how, how were your parents with this sort of stuff were they thrilled that you were sort of because it was a step up I guess to go to Marlborough College wasn't yeah, it well as an experiment even if it was even as yeah. an experiment it was very difficult because I was brought up as a Jehovah's Witness right so um, my dad wasn't a Jehovah's Witness and my mum was. So to some extent, I was expected to become a full-time minister. And again, you know, massive education, doing studying history and Bible and things, being a Jehovah's Witness. And it made me quite nervous meeting people because I had to go around the doors right. and things. When I went to the college, we had a, um, a great big chapel with all, um, I think there were Burne Jones murals on the wall and things. And we had to all turn towards the altar. And I refused to turn for some reason. <laughs> and then I, everything got difficult, you right, know, yeah. not closing my eyes during prayers. And <laughs> I sort of got into trouble quite a bit. How old were you at this point? About 16, 17. Oh, see, so you, yeah, you're in classic rebellious 
mode, aren't yeah. you? And I, I sort of talked my mum into going to follow up because the Jehovah's Witnesses magazines, Watchtown Awake, had these really strange illustrations in them. And I said, oh, I'd love to work on those, you know, (laughs) all that stuff. But it's great for when I go around art galleries and looking at paintings and, you know, like so much religious stuff. Yeah. And I even, you know, even the Catholic stuff as well. I I just knew so much about all this Mm. and it was great. You know, I wouldn't be me without it, but I'd probably be a lot more relaxed me. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you end up at at Two Swords? I went to back to Swindon for a year to do a, a foundation course and then went to Birmingham Art College. I arrived on the... Friday, you know, I had to start college on the Sunday. I arrived on the Friday. My mate came with me who loved folk music and things. And on Saturday night, we went out and looked for a folk club and we went into this Irish folk club. And the woman on the door led us in free because my mate said he'd play. Right. But that's Mel Imelda, who I'm married to now. (laughs) So I met her the day after I arrived in Birmingham and hadn't even started college yet and then we had Sarah quite young and then our son Jude 18 months later so I hadn't finished college by the time I had two kids two kids wow no money so I went into teaching you're the classic sort of artist with no money Uh, well I was for a long time (laughs) we've all been there (laughs) so um I did Three years, so a year in Swindon and then three years in Birmingham and then a year as a postgraduate teaching diploma degree thing. And then I taught um, two years art in Birmingham in a school and then I went to Bottisham Village College in Cambridgeshire, which is like a comprehensive school up to 16. And it was the first year it was comprehensive and I was the officially known as the pottery teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad job. No, I, I wasn't very good at pottery. <laughs> <laughs> was it all coming out of the kiln uh, broken? <laughs> Occasionally. Yeah. But I taught mostly sculpture and painting and drawing. And then I was there for 11 years and one of the teachers brought in this advert on the... Um, of the educational time supplement or something said um, portrait sculptors in the London area freelance like to apply Madame Tussauds and then so I wasn't any of those things right I didn't do portraits I did figures you know I was interested in bodies and stuff and so you winged it so I went there and got the job (laughs) 1985 that that was in the summer of 85 and what was if say say we walk, went to a time machine, we stroll into Madame Tussauds or Tussauds, however we want to call it, uh, in 1985, the day you get the job, who's in there? What does it look like? Wham? Um, no, the Beatles. I think was... Boy George. Boy George was being done when I arrived. Right. Dolly Parton had just been done. There's a funny story. If it, there was a sculpture of 
there were lots of kings of queens of all over Europe. And the queen of Denmark, Margarita II, was there, you know, as a figure. Mm. And it was very formal. Right. You know, it was very different place. Right. And they wanted me to go to a sitting in Denmark with the Queen to do another sculpture. Right. And I didn't know much about her, you know, because she, as an Englishman, yeah. <laughs> it's only one Queen. <laughs> <laughs> the Queen. The Queen, yeah. Yeah, and um, I didn't have good research. You know, I made a fuss about it, but I didn't have good research. Anyway, I was waiting there and she used to cycle the Queen used to cycle and she was a bit late. Right. And the sculptor, the other sculptor I was working with was waiting outside to meet her and I heard she was going to be late and then she came in like this. And I looked at her and I thought, I, I heard she was tall, which, right. you know, she was, but she didn't look anything like the sculpture that was in Madame right. Tussauds. And I thought, must be terrible. Anyway, I was talking to her and I, explain this, your majesty this and your majesty that. And she said, um, I'm not the queen, I'm the lady in waiting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that sort of <laughs> absolute embarrassment. Right. And then <laughs> I just thought, oh, no. Do you know where you put your foot in something and then yeah. everything gets worse? Uh -huh. and, and then suddenly the door opened from the other side and the Queen walked in, and I recognised her then. Right. You know, it was quite obvious. And, and she put her hand out, like, I was so relieved. I went like that, heard this cracking sound of her, her fingers. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't flinch. I bet she didn't. No, that's part of their thing, isn't it? They're trained, like, they've got all this, like, training, haven't they, to be like... You know, take the handshake, look him in the eye, you know, all this like, it's all like posture, isn't it? And strength yeah. and power. And she was probably screaming inside. <laughs> and she's an artist as well, you know, a designer. I thought, like, have um, ruined your career. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <Cut> fingers off. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, How did that sculpture come out? Well, I, did, I didn't do it. The other sculpt, sculptor did that. Right. Oh, it was a lot better. <laughs> So I guess mm -hmm. we should talk about our, our our queen, Queen Lizzie. Yeah, you did uh, a very a, a stunning. Um, was that one of the last ones you did? No, no, I did. I'd done a sitting for another sculpture sculptor right. with another sculptor when I first started, really. Right in um, Buckingham Palace. Yeah, but then they wanted a new one, and it was for a jubilee or something, and so we did another sitting in Windsor Castle and that was... Um, Which is the better uh, gaff, Windsor <laughs> or Buckingham Palace? Well, I, I preferred Windsor because the soldiers on the door saluted me with their guns as I, as I went past, you right. know, did all that sort of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, at yeah. ease, you know, <laughs> at ease, private. As you were. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's power. <laughs> And looking out the window, you know, and looking up the, the big Royal Mile or whatever it is, you know, yeah. the, the Windsor thing. It was, 
interesting. I made a few gaffes in that. So. Did you? Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess you're going to have to tell me about these, aren't you? <laughs> what, what have you done? Well, before... did you get attacked by the corgis or something? Oh, no, I nearly trod on a corgi, but that was in Balmoral when I took the clay up right. to Scotland <laughs> in, in the library. And she came in with a headscarf and a big tweed right. dress on and... You know, just she'd just been walking on the hills, right, in Balmoral. She's so professional. I bet. You know, it's un- unbelievable. I wonder if she is f- like, I use the word friends loosely, but I wonder how close she is with other queens around. I mean, because there, there's probably hundreds of queens in the world from varying degrees, and as we've sort of jokingly said, you know. Queen Elizabeth, the what's she the second? Yeah, is the queen. I yeah. think isn't she? From or, when I was, you know, when I was four, I, we had a party in the street for yeah. a coronation. But I, I suspect the only people on the planet that really had an existence that she can relate to are, are people like the maybe the Queen of Denmark, or or other similar queens. Do you think they have a bond? That they can understand things because it's a very singular yeah. existence, isn't it, for her? I, I, I think like the Danish queen and the Dutch queen, um, Beatrix, I, I think they're much more relaxed. Right. In, um, I think the countries are more relaxed in yeah. a sense and have a slightly less in awe feeling about the royal family. They just right. really like the royal family. Yeah. Very often, you know, probably not everyone. Right. But they're more royalists, would you say, than we are here now? Because the, the, the royal family have fans. Yeah. I mean, my grandmother, she's got a cabinet full of royal memorabilia. Yeah. I don't really get it. But then, you know, she's a, a World War II evacuee. And I think during times like that, royal families and things like that meant, they meant yeah. more. They probably had more of a an active role of some regard. So, I, you know, for me, yeah. I don't really get that, that sort of thing, but I, people love them. Yeah, I, I was brought up to not have particular respect for politicians, royal family, anything like that. Yeah. And so when I went first time to Buckingham Palace, I thought I won't be in awe of this person yeah. because, you know, she's only got their because of her dad or, you know, granddad mm. or whatever. Whereas when I met Mrs. Thatcher, right. I, was, I didn't like her politics, yeah. but you, you had to respect someone who got to where she was yeah. and really did earn your respect, my respect, because of how she got there. Yeah. Um, but when I met the Queen and she... She put a hand out and I went to speak and I couldn't speak. It really? just caught my throat. Yeah. It was some little noise come out. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just because, you know, for years, you know, you've seen coins, this, that, and the right. other. Yeah, yeah. And um I mean, how could you not be? And I was I did get a bit nervous in one sitting where I I wanted the Queen to smile a bit but not show her teeth, you know. So, and, you know, where you're trying to coax an expression out yes. of someone. Yeah. 
And I said, oh, Your Majesty, would you close your mouth? Right. Like that. Because so I could, you know, I could see the teeth going. Yeah. And then rather than just leaving it, yeah. I just said, I bet not many people say that to you, do they? <laughs> <laughs> and then I sort of wished yeah. that I hadn't said it. Right. <laughs> and so you go, oh, no. That's quite funny. Because so a lot of these things you have to remember is that, you know, they are human as well. Yeah. Even if she is on the £10 note you know what yeah. I mean? and, and on the coins and, and your granny's yeah. cutlery and whatnot. She did smile a bit yeah. when I said that, you know, but it just made me completely nervous. Because well, you, you, you took a risk. Yeah, but with I, the, queen the trouble of is with me, I don't, I don't think before I say something. Right. If, if I think something's slightly funny, yeah. I say it and then afterwards I think, oh, deal with it later. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. I did another thing, which just straight after that. Yeah. Before we went, we we do photographs from above and below and all that, you know, up someone's nose, down, down from the top, every angle. And I said to the photographer, because he normally climbs over people's chairs and things, I said, you can't climb over the Chippendales at Windsor Castle. You've got to get some... <laughs> steps right and he came in back to the studio that morning with yeah. a load of with this trolley it was a sack barrow he said look you go like that and it steps i can put all my camera equipment take it all yeah. all this sort of thing and i looked I said oh that's brilliant but after i said this shut your mouth i looked down and saw these steps there yeah and i said to the queen I said, see those steps? They're only 11 quid from home base. <laughs> <laughs> and she went, ooh. <laughs> and then I said, you couldn't even get the materials for that. <laughs> That's like when you're in a restaurant, isn't it? And you have a Sunday roast and you go, this is great. Couldn't make it for cheaper than this. <laughs> That's bloody great. And, and I just, you know, and when afterwards we had a sort of debrief and the photographer said, I'm sure she wasn't interested in how much those my steps cost. He said, but when you said about 11 quid, and then he said, oh, what's a quid? <laughs> Is it that little round thing with my head on? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I, do you think she know she knows a lot more than she lets on? Probably oh, she's, she she's sharp. I think from, yeah. from what I've can heard. you imagine? Uh, she's amazing. The, she, the she, control, she, um, the difficulties that she's had, family and things. I, yeah. I do respect her an awful lot more now. I must right. say. Yeah, sometimes all it takes is actually kind of you know being in the presence of some people to sort of dispel the, the myth the rumor and the yeah. bullshit do you feel that um you do i guess you probably don't trust the media at all because you've seen the way all these people are portrayed and then yeah. you've had to go and you know get so close to them you can smell their ears you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah um we get well i did a sculpture of kylie minogue when she was 18 or something yeah and it was in the paper you know and you we had um I had a clay, it, it, you do it sort of as a nude figure, really. Right. You know, and I've wrapped a cloth round it, you know, to, and then the, this bloke from, I think it was 
Daily Star or something. Some trash. Yeah, and he was going, go on, show us her raspberries. <laughs> you know, and all that. <laughs> you know, you get the front page and, you know, there's all this, yeah. and you hear all the clamour, like when Michael Jackson's there or something. You, you know, all this clamour. Yeah. But you also get the feel that they have a, an agenda before they even start. Oh, I bet, I yeah. bet. Yeah, they know what they they know what their narrative is going to be, yeah. or they know what they can spin. I'm sure. And I, we had sort of <laughs> PR training and things eventually after making some real gaffes. Right. And they say like, <laughs> "This is how you talk to the media. <laughs> Sit down and listen. Don't tell them anything." Yeah. <laughs> and and when I talked about the Dalai Lama, you know, and the thing about charisma and stuff. Yeah. That when he came to uh, Madame Tussauds for the unveiling. Yeah. And there was a lot of press interest. And the sculptor who I'd gone up with, who did the sculpture, press was talking to him. And this woman said to him, Do you feel that you've captured the essence of the Dalai Lama? And the PR woman was there. And the sculptor said, um, well, this, this man is considered a living God. I don't believe that I could in any way yeah. portray that essence. Yeah. And the woman, the PR woman said, stop, cut that out. You're not allowed to say that, that we haven't captured. Oh, his essence. Right. And, you know. But what he was, what he was talking about was something far deeper. Yeah. Which wouldn't have been, it wouldn't you know, have translated it, into the... the the Daily Mail or something, would it? Yeah, and it, it was, yeah, I suppose they could have said oh, he, the sculptor didn't think it was like him or, do you know, it yeah. wouldn't. But, you know, what's the sculptor going to say? Yes, I, I've i created this, <laughs> yeah. you know, living God. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Um, so with your religious background, mm -hmm. now this is strange, a bit, may, might be a bit of a strange question. What's your opinion on worshipping false idols? <laughs> <laughs> mm. Where are you going, heaven or hell? <laughs> well, my mum bought all my life drawings off me and burnt them because she thought they were wow. um, possessed. I don't know. When I did the um, Chino Fuji, yeah. my mum was really upset about it. Because she said, they have different things. They have strength, they have spirit. And she said, well, he's using his spirit or something. So right. that's like demonic. Right. And also she got upset when I did Desmond Tutu. Right. Because it's from the devil, you know. Yeah. <laughs> different religion. <laughs> oh, wow. So she was pretty hardcore then. Oh, yeah. And do you think that's, that spurned you on? Because you're known as the millimetre man, aren't you? Yeah. Which means, I, my understanding is that if you have, um, uh, let's say you've got Sylvester Stallone coming to unveil his Rambo uh, thing or yeah. whatever, right? Um, if he pulls that that sheet off or they unveil that statue and it's an inch taller than him or he's taller than the statue, um, the illusion is shattered, isn't it? Yeah. All the magic... Is yeah. gone, isn't it? Because it, it, it's all the whole power of it is in 
the detail, isn't it? Yeah. If someone's standing next to it, it really shows. Yeah. And we work initially, we were quite sloppy at right. measurements <laughs> when I first went there. And that's how I got the name Millimeter Man. But millimeters are sloppy. I prefer Micron Man. <laughs> so my question was, is basically, there's a lot of pride that goes into what you do. Yeah. You take it seriously. Yeah. You do a, a, an insane job. Um, is there a part of, of you that's, that's that efficient and that dedicated to it? Because that possibly you think, this will be the one that my mum gets it. No. Um, I, I didn't... Well, did you just give up on that and just be like, she's I never going to get it, I'm just that. doing my thing now. Yeah, I'm, I didn't worry about that, you know. After 1975 and Armageddon didn't come, I sort of <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> got a bit more relaxed. Yeah. Talking of measurements, yeah. like when I went there, they didn't get that iris size was important. Do you know that someone held a bit of card up with a hole in it and went like this? Right. And iris. Iris. In the eye. Yeah. Yeah. And the I argued over a quarter of a millimetre in the diameter of an iris. Right. Because it changes so much the look of a face. Right. Um, if someone has big irises, you know, that could be up to about 13 millimetres. So like David Cameron or something was 13 millimetres. That's a really big iris. But a small one would be about 11, you know, so... There's, yeah, so that, that really know, that, does matter. It was important, you know, to get eye width right, you know, all that sort of yeah. thing. Get the skull right. So, yeah, I was called Millimetre Man and probably annoyed a lot of people. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's the difference, isn't it, between creating something truly great and in just, you know, creating yeah. an attraction. You know, if you're doing a sculpture of someone in bronze or something, yeah. you're you're doing something else. Yeah. You know, the idea of the Madame Tussauds really is that someone could stand next to someone, maybe have their photograph taken. Yeah. And it sort of gives the illusion. The illusion, yeah. That, you know, they might have... And I've had some exciting sittings. Robin Williams was probably one oh. of the best. Oh, I bet. Yeah. What was he like? What was his energy like? Amazing. Yeah. Um, he had a, a PR woman or his manage, um, assistant or something. It was yeah. an old lady. It was miserable as sin. <laughs> and I can see why he needed someone like that. Right. You know. Because you'd think, why would someone like him... Um, have like choose to be around someone like that, yeah. And it's you know, there's a lot of great relationships that it work might be a sort of filter off of yin and yang, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it was just hilarious, you know, doing the sitting with him because often comedians are not funny when they're not working, yeah, you know, yeah. But he was, and I, I said something, he was in his underpants, right, and he had this sort of cockerel on him and then right i said something about flying tiger hidden cockerel or you know, to, <laughs> crouching tiger. You know yeah. and he just went off on one right you know, and it was it was brilliant this is improv was incredible wasn't it? yeah it was yeah what year was that 
Oh, I'm not very good at that stuff. That was in um, San Francisco we did that. That would be about... Pre or post Jumanji? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Pre-flubber? <laughs> um. Probably nearer the um, Vietnam. No, I don't know. I know Hidden Dragon Flying Tiger had just come out. That's <laughs> about as... So that might be uh, ninety. Is that what Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Yeah, the, that's uh, him. The, the martial arts <laughs> masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. I think that's a late nineties. Yeah, I think that's a late nineties film. Yeah, could have been a, a post Mrs. Doubtfire then, because his sort of oh well, I think it was, was after Mrs. Doubtfire. Right. It might have been the time he did that one of the um, photographer. Oh, one hour photo. Yeah. Oh my God. I've talked about this previously on the pod with someone else. That is my favorite Robin Williams film. It is only, amazing. Only because I, I don't feel like, maybe I'm wrong now because it's come up twice, but I just don't feel it gets the, the props it deserves from serious film fans because that performance he puts in is remarkable. Well, from a man that's so sort of jolly. Mm. That sinister feeling you got from him. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that, that had a lot of depth to it, I thought, that film. Yeah. And it is my... I didn't really like Robin Williams' films that much. Right. But that one, really, I thought was his best. But that's, you know, like, what I like. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess, uh, have you ever had, had like, a sitting where... Um, you know, you've done the thing, you've done the the, uh, the sizing, and then they come for the unveiling, and they 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 have changed because it's about six months, isn't there, between? Yeah. And you go, oh, he's like bulked up, not necessarily put on weight, but maybe like bulked up for a role in a film or lost weight. Yeah. When I first started, we used to get them to donate clothes and things. Right. And you know, because there'd be a lot of men in suits and things. And because I always donated something that they'd grown out of 10 years before. You know? <laughs> and so you sculpted it. Then you try and fit these, <laughs> these, Put these things on. Things, yeah. Someone like Christian Bale. I don't know if you've done Christian Bale. He's very well known for going up and down in weight for yeah. roles. And, and at any point, and, and some of the guys from the Avengers as well, you know. The guy does four yeah. and things Robert like that. Robert De Niro went up and down, didn't he? Yeah. Um, I was supposed to be sculpting Christian Bale at one stage, but it never happened. I don't think he was considered famous enough. He definitely is now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you do, you've um, got like, there's like a Terminator there. There's a Shrek I saw. Yeah. Um, I don't know if these things came in after your, your time. But um, how do you, were you just working on the lifelike stuff? I, I was mostly, but there was right. another sculptor. And a few of them came via films and via um, spitting image and things like that. <laughs> um, and were very, very good sculptors. And there's one chap who, Shrek was done in the studio where I was working. Yeah. In pieces. Right. So the sculptor made a model and then they cut it up and then did like the slices and then blew those up. Right. And um, then it all had to fit together. And right. It was brilliant. This, I couldn't have done that. Do you know where you, you sort of think, 
that took a very special person to right. be able to yeah. do all that. And as you know, and as was low, you know, lo lower than here. So yeah. it it wasn't easy in a, in at a pokey all. space. Yeah, interesting. He was an amazing sculptor, this bloke as well. So um, one thing I wanted to touch upon was um, how many originals that were made by Madame Tussauds herself remain? Yeah, there's quite a few of the royal family. Right. You know, sorry, the the other royal family. That's um, Louis the Sixteenth. Right. Marie Antoinette. Yes, because she's apparently she she had the the guillotine blade that that cut off Marie Antoinette's head. Apparently, she she owned that just quite yeah morbid, well that, that was down in the chamber of horrors right and it had got burnt in a fire oh but what you've got to remember that madame tussaud was a great publicist yes she was almost like um the very earliest example of a pr agent that i can think of yeah and very she for, for a businesswoman yeah left you know, left her husband in France, took one of her sons, came to England, and she came, I think she had the carriage that they tried to escape in, you know, the royal family. Mm. She did, uh, you know, Robert Spear and, and lots of those, but also Voltaire, um, what's that American's name with a big forehead? I think he did the experiments with the key on a, on a oh, kite. Oh, um, Benjamin Franklin. Oh, Franklin, yeah. Yeah, she did him. Um, some of them were quite good. Right. But she wasn't, in my opinion, an amazing sculptor. Right. But that's only my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And she didn't have, you know, like 300 photographs. Exactly, <laughs> taken right. Taken from up someone's nose and down the top and underneath and looking at film. You yeah. know, when you're sculpting something, you watch film, see how they move, all that sort of stuff. She was taught by her adopted uncle. Yeah. Her uncle was uh, Dr. Curtius, and he did a sculpture of Madame du Barry. Right. And that's the oldest one that was in the attraction, Sleeping Beauty. Oh, that one breathes, doesn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. How does that work? Is it some sort of um, <laughs> clock uh, clockwork? Well, it was it was clockwork. I I had to re-sculpt the body and things on that. One of the first jobs I did. Very difficult to make someone breathe when they've got a corset on re really tight. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you get you just get the breathing here, but then yeah. that's the, the wax was there, so that right. wouldn't happen. So I think that he she was mistress of. I think Louis the Fifteenth. I think, and that's the only Doctor Curtis one that's left. Right. But it. Um, sorry, I'm. No, no, it's cool because it's it's you know it's old it's history, isn't it? And it's like you know, it's not always the easiest to recall, especially when you've had a life of redefining what what that place is yourself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she's the initial seed, I guess. Yeah. She she. She, I think, I feel like you know, you took the baton and ran with it, to to a degree. And it was really good fun, you know. Yeah. I really did enjoy it. I loved teaching as well, right? Um, so I was sorry when I left that, but I did. I did nearly all the new sculptors that came. Yeah, 
it was my job to sort of teach them a lot. So I, I did that over the years. Right. And then um, they let me go to Wimbledon Art College to the university for a term. Yeah. And I taught um, portrait sculpture to the second year degree course. Did you poach any of them for two swords? Um, we we have over the years, yeah. yeah. Um, That's amazing. In fact, we got there's a an art um, lecturer called Alan Sly, yeah, who probably I'm so of forty odd sculptors I've come across. It wouldn't surprise me if he's taught thirty of them, <laughs> <laughs> and he wow. taught at Wimbledon and City well, and Guilds before that. Yeah. But I, it, it was so interesting because every year I went to the Royal College of Art to do, we gave a prize, yeah. you know, and looking around at all their stuff, did that for years. You know, it was just, I was so lucky, you know, to go to all these places and have a very full life after teaching. Yeah, that's amazing. I would, I'm, what I'm fascinated in as well is the... Um the chamber is it the chamber of horrors yeah your chamber of horrors what's in there i know that there's a there's a bunch of heads because um madame two swords had to sculpt the decapitated heads of french aristocrats in the revolution yeah. right and that's that was one of her earliest yeah she she forays in sculpting I find and she that did life mental. casts of the faces right from the heads so she, she's supposed to have gone to the um is it the Madeleine, the church? And, you know, and, and got the heads. That's grim. Yeah. Is there any, like, literature where she says, I didn't want to do this? Or was she... Well, she she also said she was one of the next in line to be executed and all because right. of her association with the royal family. But there's no real records of her. It, she, she said that she taught the king's sister i think it was in the petty trianon right but there's no records of that so I see. it could have a lot of it it's probably a bit like well i have a use here and a reason to be kept alive yeah and this is grim work but as long as i'm proving useful for something they have a no reason to kill me i guess <laughs> yeah, well, must that, have been you know, quite that, traumatic that's, yeah that's that's her story Right. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. Right. It's a good story. We're sticking to yeah. it. <laughs> so who's in the Chamber of Horrors? Have you got like notorious serial killers? Yeah. Or are they like Hollywood bogeymen? There, there is quite a bit about the French Revolution, you know, the guillotine. Yeah. Madame Tussauds or Marie Grossholtz, as she was at that time, yeah. going around looking for the heads and mould, you know, well, last time I went, there was a sort of quite a frightening bit you go through where people leap out at you and things. <laughs> um, there was, you know, Christie. Um, he was being hung. Uh, was he the last man to be hung in Britain? No, Christie was... Have you heard of 10 Rimington Place, the film? I haven't, no. They did a another remake of it recently. Right. And Evans, who was lived downstairs, got hung for the murder of his wife. Right. And it wasn't him at all. It was Christie who lived upstairs. Right. Timothy Evans wasn't very bright. They pinned it on him because he couldn't. Yeah. 
That's and, evil. And Nielsen was there, who lived round the corner from where I lived what, in Leslie Cricklewood. Nielsen? No, Dennis. Oh, Dan- who's Leslie Nielsen? Um, he was he... an actor who was in, <laughs> the pl- in that aircraft, <laughs> wasn't he? A com- That's comic. right. That's from Naked Gun. <laughs> oh, he's probably in there anyway, isn't he? <laughs> right. I don't know. From Airplane and Naked Gun, yeah. Harry yeah. cut that. that was... <laughs> Dennis Nielsen, the notorious yeah. British serial killer. the funny killer, thing sorry. is, I don't want to say anything bad about the sculptures when I went, but Doctor Who... Which Doctor is this now? One before last... Uh... Scottish. Oh, yeah, yeah, from uh, the, the fella from the thick of it. Uh, no, not him. No? No. What, David Tennant? David Tennant. Ah. Okay, I'll start. David Tennant did Dennis Nielsen um, thing called Des the other yes, week. Yes, that's right, yeah. Brilliant. And I saw him and I, was, I said to my wife, I said, he can't look like Nielsen. He's just so different. Yeah. Because I, I saw Nielsen every morning down there, you know, yeah. in the waxwork. And when I saw the photographs of Nielsen, he, yeah. David Tennant was much more like him than the waxwork was. <laughs> but we, we, had, we had this sort of all these bits and pieces there, you know, like yeah. where he boiled heads and stuff. Yeah, he'd boil the heads so that he could peel the skin off. Yeah. The skull was easier, I yeah. think. And then he'd flush it all down the toilet or something. Yeah, and block the drains and then complained about the smell. Right. I was going to take this tin, you know, this big boiling thing home and get people round and have spaghetti bolognese and then (laughs) afterwards tell him I boiled the spaghetti. (laughs) Yeah, I borrowed that one from Dennis Nielsen. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we've had a good old chat here um there's still a couple of things i want to ask you uh that is um i guess you get asked this all the time it's going to be the most cliche question you're ever going to hear this won't be the first won't be the last time you hear it uh who would you like to sculpt that you haven't sculpted uh alive or dead right who would have been an absolute pleasure alive who was unfortunately dead might not be pleasurable right you know but I think I wouldn't have minded sculpting John Lennon. Yeah. Helen Mirren I would have liked to have sculpted, but someone else, this bloke I said was brilliant yeah. work. He, he sculpted her. And what did. is it about Helen Mirren that you... Um... I did, what I think is that she's not conventionally attractive. Right. You know, that I've done sit-ins with like Miss World or, you know... Beyonce. Yeah, Beyonce's lovely, you yeah. know. Very That's attractive. Thing. You, you have you have done sittings with um, what many in on in the world believe to be the most beautiful women alive. Yeah, I mean, I did some um, sitting with someone called Ashwarya Rai, um, who was, you know, pre, you know, an Indian actress. Who right. Was, I think she was Miss World and absolutely beautiful. Yeah. There's something different in some people, you know. Yeah. There, there's a beauty that is more of an inner be- beauty, I suppose. Yeah. Um, more interesting, right? In in that way, like a mystique. I I would have loved to have sculpted Nijinsky, the um, Russian ballet dancer who died. Right. I don't know. I think he did his last performance about 1917 or something. Oh. 
So I missed out on that one. Yeah. And I lived in Newmarket and they were going on about Nijinsky all the time, but that was the horse. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, so John Lennon, Helen Mirren. Nijinsky. Nijinsky. Um, We did a sculpture of um, Leonardo da Vinci at work and I worked with the sculptor. A principal sculptor often worked with someone you know, and talked about what they were doing. Yeah. And that was really exciting, you know, that he did this amazing job from very little work, very little information. Yeah. I I was often at my best, I feel, doing sculptures when there wasn't much information because you're using all your knowledge. Yeah. Um, uh, Well, 30 years as a a, um, principal sculptor, um, I think we should start an online petition um, to uh, have your sculpture in Madame Tussauds. I'm, I'm in a few. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Warwick Castle yeah. as a Welsh bowman doing arm wrestling. Right. And I'm being beaten. Yeah. And it nearly killed me doing the sitting for this. Difficult to recognise. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm in Holland, where I was, in Amsterdam, as a drunken sailor picking up a prostitute. Wow. <laughs> so, the, so you're always sort of 16, as an extra. Yeah, 16, 1660s, you know, the golden age. Right. In Holland. Wow. So yeah. how do you, uh, how do I become some sort of man in two swords extra then? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind doing that, a bit of that. I'm not famous enough to be in there. You know, I used Mel as a model for, um, I I did a a Vermeer painting, just a little one called the, 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 uh, I think it was, uh, it's either called The Love Letter or The Girl with a Citern or something. Right. And I worked on it, so I used Mel as the model for the woman and then the, her servant yeah. giving her this note was Sarah, my daughter. Yeah. And, you know, and so I used them and we, you know, we used people's hands a lot because we life casted hands mostly. I'm probably about 30 odd different <laughs> hands around the place. <laughs> Amazing. So you're in there. You are in there. Yeah. That'd be great. Thank you so much to this week's guest, Steve Swales. If you want to check out some of his work, we will leave uh, some links to uh, various bits and bobs from Madame Two Swords in the show notes descriptions. I want to take a minute to thank his daughter, Sarah Swales, for hooking this up and putting me in contact with him. We are also going to put some links to her work, her photography work, in the show notes descriptions as well as a little thank you. So please go and check that out as well and support her stuff. Uh, What else have we got to talk about? Yes, leave us a review, like, subscribe. If you enjoyed this, please tell a friend. If you want to follow us on social media, it's at the giant pod on Instagram and on Twitter. If you want my Instagram, it's at Andy underscore S1S. You can follow all the other bits I'm doing in life there. This was produced by the absolute statuesque harry williams 
Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of The Giant Pod. I had so much fun making it. We will see you next week again on The Giant Pod.